Well, hello and welcome back to episode 38 of the T-Druff, the Film Buff podcast. As I say just about every week now, it seems there's a lot to discuss. Um, quickly, we got the gold, uh, Golden Globes reaction, uh, sequels in the works for one of the best movies of the year in 2019, uh, just broke casting news, or at least likely casting news of a major film star in a major superhero film. Uh, Going to go over my most anticipated films of 2020 uh, as we just now are heading into the first full week uh, of the year with finally some new releases. And I'm going to have to address the Collider video situation, which is is pretty earth-shattering uh, for a lot of folks in, in that industry, in that sphere. Um, but I have I have plenty of thoughts on this situation. So let, let's just jump right into that, why don't we? Um, so let's pull up the press release here. Collider Video to refocus its direction for a new era of entertainment. Um, so this is put out on the website. This was Thursday, literally the day after New Year's, the day everyone comes back into work. And from my understanding, it was just under an hour before the shows were about to go on air that morning. So for Collider Live, which goes uh, on air 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, weekly or week every weekday, uh, Collider Movie Talk, which I believe it is 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, and the rest of the shows, of course, for for Thursday as well. But all right, here they go. They say our video production side has been putting out terrific content for years. But as we begin 2020, that video content will be moving into an exciting new direction. Today, our video production will will be refocused towards expanding high-quality, scripted, unscripted, and celebrity-driven content. This means more emphasis on popular series like comic book shopping and the deepfake saga, but we also have to say goodbye to some beloved series. We will be seizing production on Movie Talk, Collider Live, Jedi Council, and Heroes, and we cannot begin to express the depth of our gratitude to our loyal fans and to those who work tirelessly on these productions. We're incredibly excited about the future of our video content, and we can't wait to share our next chapter with you. Here's the full press release on the changes we're making in our video content production. Yes, I mean, it kind of goes uh, it, it goes on to just basically just give a breakdown of what the, the situation is for um, you know the rest of the the year pretty much for them and what things are going to look like uh, of course clatter.com is going to stay status quo uh, as that's kind of where the the company started in the first place as uh, Steve Weintraub Steve Frosty Weintraub as they call him uh, started the company what was 16 17 years ago something like that uh, and then it transitioned into you know more full-scale production uh, video side of things in 2015 when John Campia brought Movie Talk over there. Um, the only reason I, I need to bring this up is because since the Batman uh, Ben Affleck casting, which was August 23rd, I believe, of 2013, or at least it was one of those late in the in the month Thursdays in August of 2013, um, I have been watching Movie Talk. And uh, all of these shows pretty much on either a completely regular basis or a semi-regular basis for the last six and a half years. Uh, and it is it is insane 
to think that movie talk is now going away. Of course, there's many other outlets for this. It, you know, ultimately for for myself, it's not a big deal. I didn't lose a job or anything like that, like half the the company did over there in Collider. Um, but it is, uh, it's just, it's weird to think about how many hours I spent watching these shows, um, you know, learning the, the basis of film coverage, um, hearing all the rumors, the casting news, the reviews, uh, you know, the spoiler talks, I mean, everything that they would put out, um, I would be engrossed in it. And it is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not only sad, but it's, it's, it's alarming in the way they, they, they kind of did it because if it was really only an hour before, uh, things went on air, um, you know, you, you make people think they're going into a new year with, uh, you know, with a job, with a, with health insurance for a lot of these people, Th- three or four full-time guys, uh, and, and women got, um, you know, let, uh, laid off. So it, it's, it seems, it seems, I don't even know if alarming is really the right way to put it. It's, it's almost unsettling. It's like you knew what these shows were doing numbers wise, uh, and views wise three weeks ago when things kind of already started to slow down for Christmas and, and New Year's. Uh, they haven't really done any live shows on a regular basis in over two weeks um, since people started going away for breaks. So why wait until the day after New Year's? Why not give some of these people a heads up before they, you know, head into Christmas and New Year's, um, you know, so they can look around? Of course, there's the, you know, there's the old adage, you don't want to do that sort of thing as it goes into, you know, holiday season, because the holiday season in general can be a you know, tough time for a lot of people. You don't necessarily want to put a, somebody's job on the line right when that happens, and, and you know it, it can be it can be troublesome. So I get that side of things, and ultimately, to be honest, I mean their views were down really since Campia left, since Harloff and Ellis left, Jeremy Johns, and since the late great John Schnepp passed away. It's it's the show or the really the channel overall hasn't been the same. Um, so I'm not even going to say it's the wrong business move. I just think the way they did it was, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about that, but, um, that's, that's collider. Of course, the Jack Hind tweet the other day is, uh, pretty ridiculous as pointed out by Ken Knapsack and many others folks over at collider, um, just alarming stuff overall. And I, I don't know, wish the best for everybody, uh, over at collider. And as some of them move on to SEN over there with Harloff, and of course some of them go in different directions, all the best. Spent too many hours of my life not to at least address that um, in the opening here. All right, so that was Collider Video. Let, let's go ahead and get to the uh, Golden Globes reaction because that was last night. Um, some of the highlights, I mean, honestly, I loved Ellen DeGeneres receiving the Carol Burnett Award. I thought the Kate McKinnon speech and uh, her handing off the award to, to Ellen was uh, was very heartfelt and emotional, and it was a great speech by Ellen. Uh, Tom Hanks winning the Cecil B. DeMille Award, no shock there. Everybody loves Tom Hanks, and uh, he had a great speech. It did go on for maybe a tad too long. Uh, I think maybe a little bit tighter. That would have been just as impactful as Ellen's, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Everybody loves Hanks anyway. Uh, yeah, Skarsgård winning for Chernobyl. You had, um, you had Patricia Arquette winning for the act, uh, Rami Youssef winning for Rami, um, 
all of those shows haven't really watched or don't really watch, so I don't have much reaction to that. Uh, with that said, you had Phoebe Waller-Bridge winning uh, for Best Performance by an Actress in a Television Series Musical Comedy. To be expected, she won over Brosnahan, Kirsten Dunst, Natasha Leone, and Christina Applegate. Um, yeah, for me, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, clearly the frontrunner here. Of course, I haven't finished Maisel Season 3, um, but I-, I love seeing Phoebe Waller-Bridge give any speech, um, let alone a couple last night, actually, in fact. Uh, best Performance by an Actor in a Television Series Drama. Kit Arrington lost out to that one uh, um, to uh, Brian Cox for Succession. Haven't seen any of the other shows besides uh, Game of Thrones with Kit Arrington, so I don't have much to say on that. Um, best Performance by an Actress in a Television Series Drama. Olivia Coleman won for The Crown over Jennifer Aniston, Jodie Comer, Nicole Kidman, and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, just one episode into The Crown overall. Don't have much to say on that. Maybe I will in a, in, in a month or two whenever I finish that show. Um, yeah, let's see. Best performance by an actor, limited series, or a motion picture made for television. That went to Russell Crowe for The Loudest Voice. Uh, haven't seen any of the shows on here, to be honest. But I do want to. I love Russell Crowe, though, so I'm happy about that. Best performance by an actress in a limited series or a motion picture made for television. Michelle Williams, as expected, won for Fosse Verdon over Joey King, Helen Mirren, Merritt Weaver, and Caitlin Deaver. Uh, great speech by Michelle Williams, of course. I knew right when she was getting up there, I was like, yep, uh, this is this is going to be a good one. And uh, it absolutely was. It was very emotional. She put a lot of personal stuff in there, which I thought was very admirable as well. So, uh, you know. Props to props to Michelle Williams there. Best television limited series or motion picture made for television. You had Chernobyl, Catch-22, Fosse Verdon, Loudest Voice, and Unbelievable. Of course, it went to Chernobyl. Uh, pretty much everything goes to Chernobyl since that series debuted. Uh, best original score for motion picture. You had Hildur Gudunatir. I, dude, I don't know if I said that correctly, but her score for Joker, to me at least, I haven't seen 1917 yet or Mother of Us Brooklyn. Uh, but it was the best score of the year. Um, best original song, motion picture. I cannot believe Rocket Man won this one over Frozen, Into the Unknown, um, Lion King, Harriet, and Cats. Um, I'm Going to Love Me Again by Elton John and Bernie Toppin. It's a good song. Don't get me wrong. It's a good song. The movie's good. I just didn't really think anything about the movie was that award-worthy, though. I thought it was a very solid movie, and a movie that's very enjoyable, and a movie I'd watch again. I just don't know that I thought anything was worth worthy of, of these type of awards, at least. So that's just me. I thought Into the Unknown was an absolute lock for that. So I was way off there. Best television series drama, Succession, One Over Big Little Lies, The Crown, Killing Eve, and The Morning Show. Of course, you don't have Game of Thrones in here. Although Game of Thrones, I don't believe, has ever won this category at the Globes. Just must not be a, a big uh, group of people like Thrones uh, with Hollywood Foreign Press. Best television series, musical, or comedy. Of course, that went to Fleabag over Kaminsky Method, Maisel, Politician, and Barry. Clearly the best show there. Uh, no surprise. All right, let's see here. Best motion picture, foreign language. Parasite, Les Mis, Pain and Glory, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and The Farewell. Parasite one to be expected. Uh, best motion picture, animated, Missing Link. One over Frozen 2. How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Lion King, and Toy Story 4. Um, I've seen all five of these, I think, Missing Link. While not a bad movie, 
and it is actually, in fact, a good movie. It is clearly the weakest of the five films, but I do think the HFPA, uh, they they do have a... They, having a thing for those Leica movies sounds weird, but I, I really do believe that they... Uh, they they really enjoy those movies, so I, I don't I, I shouldn't be as surprised as I am, but I was shocked last night. I thought for sure that was Toy Story four, um, and if not that, Frozen, and if not that, Lion King or How to Train Your Dragon. I thought any of them could have won, so I was pretty shocked. Best screenplay, motion picture, Quentin Tarantino, to be expected. Um, although I thought Noah Baumbach had a chance uh, for Marriage Story, there was no chance. Irishman or Two Popes, or Parasite was going to win. That was between the two, Tarantino and Baumbach. Best Director went to Sam Mendes over Bong Joon-ho, Todd Phillips, Martin Scorsese, and Quentin Tarantino. That was a pretty good category. Um, Again, I haven't seen 1917, so I can't really say if that's worthy of winning, um, but I am not disappointed. Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture. To be expected, once again, went to Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt should clean up every single award this offseason. He's the definition of cool in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Best performance by an actress in a supporting role in any motion picture. Uh, It was won by Laura Dern. She won it over Kathy Bates, Annette Bening, Jennifer Lopez, and Margot Robbie. Not the best category there. I don't think that that category this year is that strong at all. To be in fact, uh, Laura Dern's just very, she's very good in Marriage Story, but I don't even think in a regular year she would be uh, this talked about. So, best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Taron Egerton won over Eddie Murphy, Daniel Craig, Roman Griffin Davis, and Leo. Uh, I was very happy that, um, what's his name, Taron Egerton uh, even gave a shout out to Roman, Roman Griffin Davis there in the speech. Thought that was uh, that was pretty neat, and, and I certainly um, thought that DiCaprio and Murphy had the best shot here, but Taron Egerton with an outside chance, so I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Aquafina won over Anya de Armas, Blanchette, Beanie Feldstein, and Emma Thompson. Uh, Aquafina definitely was a clear front runner here, although I kind of had an I had a feeling there's an outside chance Anya de Armas could get that. Um, Let's see here. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama. Walking Phoenix won over Jonathan Price, Christian Bale, Antonio Banderas, and Adam Driver. Yeah, I think that that's, I think Walking Phoenix will, in fact, get uh, most of the awards as we work through Critics' Choice, SAG, um, and, and of course the Oscars as well. And so that wasn't necessarily surprising, but the Golden Globes, again, they're always a wild card, so you don't really know until the last second. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, Renee Zellweger, Cynthia Erivo, Scarlett Johansson, Saoirse Ronan, and Charlize Theron. Uh, Renee Zellweger wins out there. Not surprising at all. Best motion picture, musical, or comedy went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No surprise, uh, because it is, in my opinion, God, it's tough. I mean, I love Jojo Rabbit. I love Knives Out. Uh, it's right up there once upon a time in Hollywood. But in my opinion, it's probably the best film out of the bunch there. Best motion picture drama, of course, went to 1917. I don't think that that's going to be much of a surprise. I, I think that it has a very good shot of winning best picture. Um, I, I really don't think people are going to vote for The Irishman. The Joker's too controversial. And Marriage Story has a good shot. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, 
I don't think it's going to win now. I, I'm just getting the feeling that the Golden Globes, uh, at least in this category, may be uh, you know, worth noting as to the winners. I think that there's a good chance a lot of these winners for the Globes are also going to win Oscars. All right, uh, speaking of Knives Out, as I just mentioned, there's a sequel in the works, a uh, story to center on Daniel Craig's detective character. That's uh, not a surprise that a sequel would uh, center on him. I think it's more of a surprise just in fact that they are actually are moving forward with a sequel. You know, the budget $40 million, it made $250 million worldwide so far, and that is so far. Let's see what it did this past weekend because, I mean, th- this thing is a juggernaut. Um Okay, let's see here. That's dailies. Let's go to weekend. Um, Knives Out still made in this past weekend eight million dollars. That thing is it dropped nine percent. This thing's been out since Thanksgiving. What is that? Ten weeks? Uh, only six weeks? Oh, I guess because Thanksgiving was late this year. Wow, my math is way off there. Um, but anyway, uh, really happy to see Knives Out still doing well. Um, and, and it's interesting. The sequel, I'm down for it. If we're getting a Murder on the Orient Express sequel, we might as well get a Knives Out sequel with Daniel Craig. Um, but yeah, apparently Ryan Johnson's working on a follow-up already to his you know, original whodunit, lining up a potential franchise for Lionsgate. Uh, Johnson told The Hollywood Reporter at Lionsgate pre-Golden Globes party on Saturday that he's already developing a sequel center on Daniel Craig's Southern detective, Benoit Blanc, investigating a new case... The filmmaker added that he was eager to make the pick quickly, ideally in the next year. Johnson's producing partner Ram Bergman added that Craig was so easy, or easy, was so eager to reprise the role. Daniel had so much fun doing it, and he wants to do more. He said. Um, so yeah, it, it's it doesn't have official green light, they say, but um, I, I think it's pretty dang likely. Um, that this movie will, in fact, get the green light. And I think it's going to probably finish with like 275, maybe even hit 300 million uh, worldwide, which is insane for that type of budget. All right, let's move on to the biggest news of the day, maybe of the week, maybe of the year so far. And that's the the, uh, the fact that Collider, the aforementioned Collider, of course, this was reported by Jeff Snyder, my guy over there. I love Jeff Snyder, love his podcast. One of the few remaining people left to Collider, along with Perry Nemiroff, that I will continue to follow for years to come. Uh, that Christian Bale is in talks to join Thor, Love and Thunder. That is incredible news that I just, I never would have thought uh, that I would read that in an article. I never would have thought Christian Bale would go back to comic book movies about, uh, after the Dark Knight trilogy. Um it's funny because Snyder tweeted out as well that he, he had learned about this um, a couple weeks back. He had just waited for confirmation because nobody was you know in the office because he had to wait till everybody gets back for the holidays. Um, and I don't even think he fully got confirmation. He didn't get any sort of comment from anybody, um, but he must have gotten tipped off again. And, and uh, surprised no, none of the other big trades had uh, reported on this. Um, first because Clyder's usually not the first ones to report on big casting like this but this is a massive gift for Jeff Snyder um, and uh, I'm excited to see who Christian Bale plays in this you would assume that he's going to play the villain he wouldn't play another good guy that would be like a supporting role so he he has to play the villain there's literally no other choice 
Um, but Christian play, Christian Bale playing the villain here. Um, so that'll be interesting because that, that'll come out in 2021. By then, it'll have been nine years since Bale was Batman. I uh, would love to see Bale take on like a different look for this role, whether that's a motion capture type of thing. Probably not because I don't think Bale really wants to do that. Um, but just a different physicality. And I know he, <laughs> I know he said that he's done transforming his body because that's it's taking a toll on him and he's too old for it. He said that, but uh, I think that it might require him to, to do some, you know, some changing for this role. That's just my gut. Uh, and I think he also really just wanted to work with Taika. Who wouldn't, right? I mean, the guy's one of the hottest directors in Hollywood right now. He's Jojo Rabbit, Thor Ragnarok. He's got the soccer movie coming out next year. And then, of course, Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, so I really just, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to see what he does. Um, all right, let's move on finally to the most anticipated movies of 2020. Sort of the bottom ones here, the ones I don't know much about, but they are on my list. Um, I'll kind of run through real quickly. But these are my top 20, um, you know, most anticipated films for next year. I'm starting off at number 20. I had a different Ryan Reynolds movie, Red Notice, which uh, was going to star Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Gal Gadot on as my number 20. But I believe that has been pushed to 2021. So I had to adjust my list a little bit last second here. And I put Free Guy on there, uh, which is going to be, uh, opens July 3rd, 20th Century Fox movie, um, People think that secretly this is like a Deadpool movie and it was like this, um, you know, marketing genius thing that, that 20th Century Fox and Disney are doing to hide the fact that this is Deadpool 3 and it's secretly Free Guy. I get it. Like Ryan Reynolds is playing a similarly um, mannered guy and like trapped in a video game world. Like it would be funny if this was actually secretly a Deadpool 3 movie and one of the weirdest and maybe perhaps most brilliant marketing uh, choices ever. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I, 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 if they were doing Deadpool 3, it wouldn't be Sean Levy, uh, directing. Sean Levy directs strictly pretty much PE 13 movies, um, from what I'm understanding. Um, he's a big producer on a lot of things, but I think all of his features directing, let's go ahead and check this though real quick. Um, Night at the Museum. Yeah, of course that's PG. Uh, this is where I leave you. Is that rated R? That was rated R, okay. The internship definitely was PG-13. Uh, Real Steel was PG-13. Date Night was PG-13. Night of the Museum uh, 2 was PG-13. Night of the Museum 1, PG-13. Like, oh, yeah, they, he, and Pink Panther, of course. It's like PG-13, uh, PG, Cheaper by the Dozen, Just Married, I don't believe was rated R. Again, see, it's like he doesn't really direct rated R movies. I don't see him directing uh, this one to be rated R. So I don't think it's a Deadpool. I don't think it's secretly a Deadpool three movie. I think it's just a, a Ryan Reynolds vehicle that, that could be something more than likely will just make okay money. Hopefully it won't bomb though. Let's move on to the next one. Number 19 is the last duel. That's the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Jodie Comer movie around, uh, basically, uh, one, uh, one friend, I, th I believe are going to be played by Affleck and Damon. Um, but I hear Adam driver might be in it as well. Um, at least from what online tells me. And uh, he, one of them is going to be playing a friend who rapes the other friend's wife. Um, so I don't know what, you know, I don't know who's playing who, um, but it's all, it's like a revenge story. It's all about the last uh, sanctioned duel in France or something like that between the, the two friends. 
sounds interesting to say the least. I don't. I still don't know if Ridley Scott's the right director to tackle this. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Number eighteen, Gunpowder Milkshake. I, I all I've seen online is that people are, are really liking the idea for this movie. It's about a secret sisterhood comes to the rescue of a mother-daughter assassin team. Okay, so I believe, I, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing, just based on the Instagram post that both of them um, have shown over the last, uh, I don't know, four or five months that I've seen, I believe Karen Gillan and Lena Headey are playing uh, mother-daughter assassins. And so I don't know about the sister that comes together or whatever. I, I, I don't know. Um, but it's interesting Maybe a cool action movie. It's supposed to come out next year, so I'm excited for that. Reminiscence. Uh, it's the movie with Rebecca Ferguson and Hugh Jackman. Um, so this is th- this is the movie we I absolutely know nothing about other than the IMDb description, which reads: A scientist discovers a way to relive your past and uses the technology to search for his long lost love. Mm-hmm. I'm just excited to see those two back together again after uh, Greatest Showman, which I wasn't the biggest fan of, but um, I think it could be good. Of course, Tandy Newton's great as well and it's being directed by lisa joy the the wife of, of um, jonathan nolan uh brother of christopher nolan um and one of the writers and directors and producers of westworld so that should be exciting uh the king's man this movie was so much higher on my list and then they pushed it to, to september and i just got the vibe that there was things wrong with this movie maybe they're doing reshoots the test screen the test uh, screenings maybe weren't the best so I don't know, but I think that trailer's so great. So I'm kind of excited for the movie, but it, I'm at a wait and see phase. Next two are the two Disney Pixar movies for next year. That's Onward and Soul. We don't really know much about either, other than Onward's about two brothers that are going on a trek to save their father, who's only uh, alive from feet to pants. So it's a you know it's a comedy, of course, but I'm sure though there's going to be tons of heart in there. Uh, so I'm looking forward to both of those. Next one, Halloween Kills. So this one would be number, uh, what would that be, 14? I don't know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 13. Okay, 13. Yeah, yeah, that, that works. All right, number 13 is Halloween Kills, the sequel to 2018's Halloween. Of course, the middle part of the supposed trilogy, Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. Again, we don't know anything about the plot. I'm assuming it's starting to film in a month or two. Um, we'll know more then. Trailer by the summer. I'm just excited because I really love that first new Halloween movie. Number 12, I have Dune. So this is one where, like, I basically despise that uh, 1980s Dune uh, directed by David Lynch. I didn't know what the hell was going on in that movie. Couldn't freaking stand it. Uh, the cast was great, but that was just about it. So... I don't really know what to think about this movie, but the cast for this one is insane. Um, so I'm just I'm just stoked for it based on that. I know Rebecca Ferguson's in it. Anytime she's in anything, it's gonna make my list. So that's all you really need to know. Number eleven is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I that trailer's grown on me. It's out in less than a month, and we've only had one trailer though. So I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but I think it's coming out like Oscars weekend, which also could be problematic for it. Hoping it really does well because I, I love the idea of more rated R DC films. I just love the idea of just doing different things with DC films. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it could be good. Margot Robbie in the title role can't be beaten. So we'll see. 
number 10. We are into the top 10 now. That is Fast and Furious 9. Um, still haven't had a trailer. Apparently, it's being released in a week or two. In fact, literally while I'm in Miami, that will be released. Uh, it's like a trailer party they're having, which is, sounds ridiculous, but it sounds so much right up Fast and Furious 9's alley. Of course, we know nothing about the plot. We just know Charlize is coming back. Helen Mirren's coming back. Um, I believe they got back Jordan Burster. They're bringing on John Cena. Supposedly, Lucas Black is rumored. Um, apparently, this is the first time I've known Finn Cole is going to be in this movie from Peaky Blinders, which is great. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We will see. Um, I always enjoy these movies, even sometimes as bad as they are. They're amazing. Like, I, I, I will always say that Fast, Too Fast, Too Furious and Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift are the two worst films of the series, in fact, by far, um, but they're still very watchable, and I own both of them anyway, so, you know, it's not like I don't pop them in every now and then and just kind of reacquaint myself with the franchise. That is number 10. Probably should have just had it as number 9 because it's Fast and Furious 9, but oh well. Number 9 is... is sneakily rising up my list and that's Top Gun Maverick I just think those trailers they put out were amazing and even better in the theater I just love how much fun it looks like Tom Cruise is having um, and yeah all I'm looking for is just cool cool plane scenes cool jet scenes fighter pilot scenes whatever you want to call them I just you know all that stuff is great cinematography wise and Tom Cruise is one of my favorite actors so I'll take it any day of the year. All right, moving on to number eight, and that is Mulan. Again, one of the best trailers. It could even be higher, to be honest, because that trailer moves me every single time I've seen it, especially all five, to, all five times I've seen Star Wars, it's moved me. They play that right before the movie starts, and I just can't get the, the music out of my head. It's so dang freaking good. I, could, I, th I think it might be, it has a chance at least to be the best uh, live action Disney reimagining number seven a quiet place part two I think even since the trailer this is uh rise on my uh, risen on my list uh I just like the idea that it's like everything the movie the first movie is so contained it's like we stay in the sand right and now we're going to play in the ocean essentially once we get past the sand we're going into waters we have no idea uh like where these creatures came from we have no idea who these new characters are um what new obstacles they're going to face uh and we also get to see clips of like the beginning uh, part of it too so it all looks great i just love the idea of those movies are, are fascinating and they're terrifying um so i'm really looking forward to a quiet place part two number six my God, number six. This is this is the problem with 2020. I don't feel like it's as deep as 2019 was. So it's like number six is Jungle Cruise for me. On a normal year, that would probably be number 10 or 11. But again, it's Emily Blunt. It's going to rank high on my list. Um, and I'm looking forward to her chemistry with The Rock because I think they're going to have really, really great chemistry. And I think it's going to it's going to have some African queen vibes in there which is which is nice too with Catherine Hepburn. So, all right, number 5 is Black Widow. I I can interchange this. I'm sorry, that would be number 4. I just skipped my number 5, which is Wonder Woman 1984. I almost kind of want to change Wonder Woman 1984 and Black Widow from 5 to 4. Um, but I think both movies just look really good. They just look really solid. Um, and I I'm excited for them. 
Uh, I just love the fact that Florence Pugh is more than likely going to take over as Black Widow at the end of that movie. And I love the idea that in the first Wonder Woman, it's uh, Diana, uh, fish out of water with Chris Pine's uh, Steve Trevor kind of teaching her the world and everything. And now Steve Trevor, for however they're bringing him back, whether he's a ghost, whether he's real, whether it's time travel, I don't know. He's the fish out of water. Now Diana's teaching him you know, the ropes of everything. So I think that's it's just a great idea to have for a sequel. Uh, again, mentioned Black Widow. And now the third superhero movie on the list. Right? So I haven't even have any... Oh, I guess you can consider Birds of Prey a superhero movie, but not really. God, there's really not a lot of superhero movies next year. It's just weird. Uh, I have Eternals. Okay? It's coming out November 6th, 2020. The fact that you got Richard Madden in there, you got Kit Harrington in there, uh, Kumail Nanjiani's in there. She's a great cast overall. Um, and I, I think Chloe Zhao is, is going to do wonders with that film. Of course, we can't forget about Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Gemma Chan, uh, Barry Keegan. I mean, my God, Brian T. Ty- Tyree Henry. Uh, I don't know much about Leah McHugh or Dong Siak Ma. Dong Ma. Uh, but Lauren Ridloff is really great in Walking Dead, and I'm sure she'll be really great in this movie as well. So... Yeah, I'm stoked for Eternals. I think it could be the new Guardians, which is what everybody says, but I really do think it could be. Uh, Number one and number two, both spy movies, but I had to go with number two is No Time to Die. That's the 25th, I believe, or is it 26th James Bond movie? Uh, And the last for Daniel Craig. The trailer's great. Ana de Armas coming in there. Uh, Leia Seydoux coming back. Uh, Christoph Waltz coming back. Rami Malek coming in as the villain. The trailer's it sold me. It sold me. It wasn't even the it wasn't the best trailer of the new Daniel Craig Bonds, uh, but it was a solid trailer. It sold me on the movie, and I'm excited for it. Number one, could it be anything else? It was Tenant. Of course, it's Tenant. I've seen this, the the seven minute prologue twice now, before IMAX screens of Star Wars, uh, and I, I seriously cannot get enough of it. Um, so I am beyond stoked for that movie. Christopher Nolan will always be my favorite director. Whatever he does, it always ends up in my top one or two of the year. And I can't imagine Tenet will be any different. Uh, that trailer and the prologue is just something else. So that'll pretty much do it for my list uh, and for the episode overall for episode 38 of the Teach Off the Film Buff podcast. I'm not sure what I'm doing the next couple weeks. We'll, we'll see. Maybe the news will be big enough. We'll just cover the news. Um, but that'll be it for now. Until next time, have a 1917-filled weekend.